Hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is Rising, with host Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kizu, a professional art critic. On this podcast we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Floor is Rising. With me today is NFT artist, performance artist, Polly Annie. Uh, Polly Annie, welcome. Hello. Polly Annie, tell us, how did you get into NFTs? Oh, my goodness. Wow. What a long journey. Um, but the, the short version of uh, the long story, I guess, is I became an adult content creator and an erotic artist in 2019. And in that, my first, I guess, year and a half of focusing on the adult arts, I ran into a lot of censorship, which if you're not doing anything, um, you know, controversial or on the fringe or or anything like that, you're pretty safe and you, you won't experience the censorship, but maybe you'll hear about it. But to actually experience it is, uh, man, it'll really shake you up and make you realize like some things. So dealing with the censorship was gut-wrenching. I mean, it hurts your ability to monetize from your work if you have to redo your social accounts, you know, every time they get removed. The worst of it was uh, as a part of like my brand, I did 130 days of live yoga and it was completely safe for work. It was just live yoga. I maybe wore like some sexy outfits doing it, but never crossed the line. And 130 days, like that was the huge accomplishment for, for myself. And I had built a Periscope a following of over 20,000 people. And I woke up one day and my account was gone. And that was really what got me into really finding real solutions. So in looking for actual solutions to censorship, I was directed towards NFTs and cryptocurrency. So I was a Twitter follower of mine was like, hey, have you considered doing NFTs? I was like, no, I don't even know what that is. Um, And so then I released my first NFT in September of 2020 and it, it went really well. So for me, it was you know, just really on a journey to find real solutions uh, to censorship. Paul Yanni, well, one of the things that struck me, obviously, uh, you're far from the only adult performer or artist that, that works with NFTs. But, you know, we've had a couple, we've had many guests on the show so far. And our focus has been on artists that work with NFTs, visual artists specifically. NFTs allowed them to basically access uh, the value that was attributed to their work without the middleman. In your case, it seems like censorship was the main uh, concern. How is it different for an adult um, artist? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, for me and the whole censorship issue, it goes a little bit deeper and it's about documentation of my work. And I am very tied to my work. There's no real anonymity um, to what I do. I am the subject of my work. I am pretty much in every single one of my NFTs. So for me, you know, remaining anonymous or not being connected to my work just goes against the nature of my work in general, which is more or less like a celebration and a documentation of my existence. So when we're getting censored and we, you know, put up work, um, whether they're, you know, finished pieces or, you know, just steps along the way, you know, photos capturing the moments of the journey and these platforms take our stuff down there to me, they're removing our bit of documentation of the human experience. And I don't feel like anybody has 
the right to do that to anybody. There's going to be a lot of things in life that we don't agree with, we don't like, but to really understand our human experience, like it's important that all of it is is documented. So for me, it it's mostly has to do with our ability to be able to document all the aspects of the human experience, even the ones that most people kind of turn away from. Is your audience the, the same across the Web 2, Web 3, or are they very different? My Web 2 audience, you know, that I've had for longer, you know, than I've been into, um, you know, Web 3 and NFTs, there's an obstacle of bringing them into the Web 3 space, which is something that I have tried and failed and and tried and succeeded at bringing, you know, my existing audience into the the Web3 space. So pretty much when I started doing NFTs, I had to completely start over and build a whole new fan base and a whole new world. And luckily, I was very accepted and it was great. I definitely feel like there is a difference between, you know, the people who collect my NFTs versus the people who like subscribe to my OnlyFans. Whereas like people who are buying my NFTs, they're definitely investing more money. I have um, a private chat group on Telegram just for my NFT collectors. And, you know, we get to know each other better there. And it's like a small, like small community. But I can't say that my Web2 audience, like if they had, you know, the know-how and the easy capability to get into the Web3 space, I feel like they would be there as well. So still, you know, we're kind of experiencing that like bridging issue of, you know, getting new people into this that, you know, know nothing about crypto wallets or crypto or Web3. Would you mind talking a little bit more concretely about the content that you produce for Web2 and Web3? And are you very conscious of that? For what I do, um, and it's taken me about a year to nail down like my NFT strategy and how I go about it. So currently what I do for my NFTs is I will do a live painting. And if, you know, travel allows, I actually travel and do live paintings on stage. During lockdown times, I do live paintings via live stream from my home. And then I uh, paint using only my body and no brushes. So I create these like improv abstract um, paintings using just my body. And so at the end of it and during it, I am basically the paint on my body matches the painting. So I am the art as well as the canvas is the art. And so I'll do a little self photo shoot and then I'll collage, you know, and kind of add a little bit more to it to make it like a, a presentable thing that could be sold as an NFT. And I prefer um, 2D images for NFTs. I think they're more classic and timeless. So that's what I do for my NFTs. And then I'll have like a collection. I'll do series based on a single painting, anywhere between, you know, four to 10 pieces, you know, and then also offer the actual painting as an NFT. So that's my Web3 content is kind of based upon these live painting experiences and, you know, the collectibles that I make um, that go along with it. You know, my Web2 content is just everything in between the behind the scenes stuff, the the raw photos, the the bloopers, the uh, that I feel like the Web2 content is just for everything. It's the stuff that doesn't make the cut of like, oh, this is good enough to be an NFT. Pollyanna, maybe you can um, give, an, I guess, an overview of, of what the adult content NFT scene is, is like in the sense that, I mean, I, I'm definitely not very familiar with it. I think because, well, the majority of NFT, it seems like the, the adult NFT scene is extremely siloed from like the, the non-adult 
um, NFT scene and and there doesn't seem to be much crossover? So I started NFTs in September of 2020 and could have been, I don't know for certain, but could have been the very first NFT creator to release an adult NFT with unlockable erotic content. I looked and looked and looked. Nobody had been doing it. My mentor was like, hey, nobody's doing, you know, adult NFTs yet. And so I was just on it like, yes, let's go. And then um, after the, the Beeple sale, like early spring of 2021, the $69 million sale or whatever, and then a lot of eyes started to come to the NFT space. So then I would say by like March, April of uh, 2021, it was finally becoming like more and more obvious the need or just, you know, people wanting to kind of get on, you know, be the first in line to create the first adult NFT marketplace. Because there was actually censorship going on on the NFT platforms like Rarible. There was an, there was a censorship issue. What was that issue? Yeah. So uh, creator Cryptonatrix, we both started doing adult NFTs about the same time in 2020. She had a very tasteful animated NFT, sort of like a GIF thing. She's fully dressed and she has a strap on and she's just like waving the strap on around. And the piece was removed from Rarible, which is absurd because like there's this whole AI project. I don't even know what it's called, but they personally reached out to me and said, it is our goal to remove all human sex workers and adult creators from existence through our AI fake nude women thing. And I'm like, this is disgusting. Like I'm doing this by choice, not because like someone's forcing me to, like, I want to express my sexuality and I don't want you putting me out of business. Like what, you know? So like we could have all kinds of naked women, fake naked women all over Rarible, but not a tasteful, real, actual human woman, like expressing her sexuality. She likes strap on. So fucking what? Right. So then it was like really started to become obvious, like, okay, so even in the web three space, we're seeing censorship and misogyny because who would remove a woman with a strap on, but not a fake naked woman. Right. Was that the only thing brain to figure that out? You know, like, was that the only NFT that was removed or was there other NFTs? That's the only one that I'm aware of. And I actually bought that piece on OpenSea. I found it and I bought it. It was the most expensive NFT I've ever bought. I think even to date, just because I wanted it for the historical value. But then, you know, so, okay. So then the adult NFT space really started to take off in April, 2021. Um, unique fans and treat Dow, I think were two of the first and then triple X nifty came right in after those two. There's been so many more since then. Um, but I'm still the most familiar with those first ones. So now we have triple X nifty, which is the like high end, um, unique one-to-one NFTs. I've been with the project since the beginning and I'm a VIP brand ambassador with that project. I'm excited to see what where they go and what they do. They're doing like an OnlyFans type site, um, but just using crypto payments. And then they have a metaverse thing that they've got going on. Then you have Treat Dow. Treat Dow is um, more of the like high edition, uh, lower price range um, thing, which is good. So all of these um, marketplaces serve a really unique purpose for adult creators and for adult NFTs. So, you know, I... I believe like in the first few months to just to go on a tangent, there was a lot of tribalism going on, which was unfortunate because people see other adult marketplaces as a competitor. But if you really look at them, you see there's no competition 
they're very unique and they're doing completely different things. So if you want your high end unique, like your best of work that you can, you know, get a good, you know, price for, then you go triple X nifty. If you've got something that's maybe lower quality um, that you can sell for less and you want to do more additions, then do something like treat Dow, then unique fans um, that's built on like the unique one network. And they're pretty cool. Like that's all community driven and whatnot. Uh, Spank chain, Spank chain pop shots came out last year as well, which is a really cool, like you buy card packs and, you know, it's like that surprise thing. You don't know what you're going to get. Who is the, are the, are the collectors of the adult NFTs? Is it, is it the same kind of collectors as, as other NFTs? The collectors are, yes, we definitely have been, have had issues with, we don't get the same exposure, the same access to collectors as people, you know, not doing erotic art or adult content, which is unfortunate. Even on Twitter, I am shadow banned and every post I make they put like a lock on it. Like, unless you have a certain setting, you know, you can't see my posts, which is just such garbage. Um, so, but the collectors in the NFT space, triple X nifty, I feel like I've stayed with them the most because of the collector community, which started out small and has grown. And the collectors there are really, um, they're looking to, collect from the creators that they like, you know, it's just like any other crypto or NFT community. We spend our days together. We all say good morning to each other. We've gotten to know each other. And um, yeah, when somebody releases a new piece or a new collection, there's just, there's already a set community of collectors who love um, erotic and adult NFTs. But I also have collectors who don't, like I have a couple pieces in the Museum of Crypto Art in the Genesis collection. And those were some of my less, you know, I guess adult, more more tame, more safer work pieces that I released last year. So I guess it's a, a little bit of everything. I think a lot of collectors just maybe don't want that stigma attached to them about having nude art. But then, you know, another thing I also notice is people who aren't like adult content creators, people who aren't like publicly like sex workers, which is what I could consider myself as is sex workers. So people who are just doing nude photography and everything, I mean, they'll get hundreds of likes and retweets on their posts, right? And everybody will celebrate them for their bravery of being nude. But then actual adult content creators kind of get the short end of the stick. It's like everyone loves the idea of sexuality and a confident woman. But for some reason, when they know that you're actually trying to monetize from it, I, I don't know why that seems to change things. I wonder where that leaves good old porn on the internet, you know, in, in terms of how is that going to, how is that economy going to change or not as the speculative mania, as the NFT adult entertainment space evolves? Do you think that Web2, like just porn production or, or, or ecosystem is going to suffer? I think when we're thinking about like, you know, monetizing um, the porn industry, it, we can compare it to the music industry, just as most people just assume porn is free in the same way people assume music is free. Right. And so I think as we're, you know, kind of building in the space, I feel like the music industry and the porn industry should definitely be communicating um, about how they're approaching this because it's a complete paradigm shift for the public on how they access this type of content 
And just coming to the realization of like, yes, we're used to music, being able to listen to music for free. We're used to being able to watch porn for free, but we forget the number of people being exploited for that to be a possibility. Really what it's about is the parasocial relationship. And it's about like the ability for people to connect with their porn stars or with their adult content creators. And not only like just being able to connect with them, but being able to support them in a way that's mutually beneficial as well. If the adult entertainment space jumps directly from Web 2 to Web 3 and has NFTs as as the main, I guess, medium by which the creator can capture that value, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering what that kind of platform would look like. There's a lot of people who actually do want to pay for their porn and do want to pay and support the musicians. And so I think in general, the NFT space um, can allow for a closer uh, relationship between the supporters and the creators, where if you buy my NFT, it comes with a folder of content. You could resell my NFT with the folder attached to it. And in no other way would it be acceptable for you to resell my content. Like, so now it's not piracy. Now it's like, you just invested in my work. You got to watch the videos and then you resold it. You made a profit and passed that folder on to the next person. And that really changes <laughs> the supporter creator relationship significantly. And it makes more responsible porn buyers. A lot, a big thing in the industry is chargebacks. People will they'll order a custom video or they'll unlock a piece of content right in a web two site. And then they'll report back and it'll be a chargeback. And they'll be like, it was a mistake. Somebody hacked my thing, right? It's a common thing, chargebacks for adult content creators. It's like someone will buy something and then they're like, I take it back. Like, I can't have this on my credit card or, you know, whatever. So, but with NFTs, that can't happen, you know? So you have more responsible buyers that are buying for a little bit different reasons. Porn has kind of been at the forefront of nearly any publishing sort of innovation, right? From from the early days of the internet to VHS video to even things like, you know, newspapers, magazines, and and, and so on and so on all the, all the way back. But one of the surprising things is actually in the in the sort of the crypto space and even specifically the NFT space, you know, adult NFTs hasn't really so far made, you know, that big of a of a of a splash and certainly hasn't been, I, I would say, at the forefront of, of any of those um, innovations. Um, is that something that you're surprised by or? Honestly, I contribute a lot of that to the fact that most adult creators um, are shadow banned and our stuff just simply isn't getting seen and isn't getting shared the same other as, you know, the same as other forms of art and NFTs and crypto would which is understandable. Nobody, you know, not many people want to be associated with such things. And even some collectors have alternative private wallets that they use to buy adult NFTs so that it's not connected to their main thing. So good on some people for at least buying and supporting the adult creators into NFTs. But, you know, sad face that they're not willing to do so publicly or be bold enough to be like, yeah, I support porn, like, <laughs> you know, support porn creators. Um, I have done so well in the NFT space. It completely changed my life. I mean, I went from being a struggling artist um, 
people think that just because you have an OnlyFans or you do like nude work, like you're going to make a lot of money and be successful. That is a lie. <laughs> um, it's actually very hard work, um, harder than um, most other forms of art and, and content creation. You are not guaranteed to make a lot of money fast. It's a lot of grind. It's a lot of work. It's not easy. Um, and you have a lot of odds stacked against you. There's a lot of people all the time trying to shut you down. So me, you know, it's just, I have made more money in NFTs that I can afford to give away 70% of that to help support other creators. Um, and I feel it in my heart to do so, to help build the space and help encourage new creators to keep going. I have no interest or plan on selling any of my collection. I'm not doing it to flip a profit. I'm doing it to build a collection of erotic NFTs. Um, starting from the beginning, you know, of adult NFTs. So hoping this collection can be something I pass down to my kids one day. Yeah. And it just helps give people because, you know, there's also this, you know, assumption that, oh, I'm going to release an NFT and I'm going to sell and make a lot of money. Like, no, that also doesn't work. And so in my own way, I find pieces that I like and creators that I like and do what I can to help uplift them. You mentioned that it's, you know, by sort of contributing financially, whether buying an NFT or subscribing to an OnlyFans, you form kind of like a parasocial relationship with the, with the creator itself. Can, can you sort of, I, I think you talked about it, you know, before, but can you, can you go deeper into, I guess, is there a difference between the parasocial relationship that an NFT collector has with the creator versus say an OnlyFans subscriber has with the OnlyFans creator? So if somebody buys my NFTs, they're spending at minimum like $200. And so if somebody subscribes to my OnlyFans, they're spending $10 a month. And so there is, uh, I, I guess it's more of an investment to buy an NFT um, of mine than it is to just subscribe to my OnlyFans. And so there is like a deeper connection, I guess, there just one because of the value that's being exchanged alone. It's like $10. So most people could drop $10 out of their pocket, and, you know, it not be a big, huge deal. But if somebody were to drop, you know, 200 to, you know, $5,000, you know, that would be a much bigger deal, right? Yeah. And it's just, there's something different about Web3 folks, like crypto and NFT people are just, there's a different connection there for sure. And so that relationship, it, and it's the most interesting thing. You wouldn't even believe that, you know, my my fans who like my, you know, adult content, we also talk every day about regular ass things like what we're going to make for dinner. And it, it, so it's almost mimics more of a real life relationship where it's like, you don't just come to me when you're horny. Like we also talk and connect like in real life and everyday stuff, right? Like I'm more than just this like sexual body or sexual image. Like I'm actually a real person that has like good days and bad days and real life shit and doctor's appointments and bills and things like that. Right. And so that relationship that you begin to build with people, yeah, it just becomes more of like a real life relationship where you're, you're a sexual sort of expression to these people, but you're more than that. You're a real person as well. You're not just like, like some porn star, <laughs> you know what I mean? That like, it's a little different if that makes sense. Yeah. I can see how that might actually really push the envelope in terms of sexuality as a 
whole lot. People with more, you know, minority sexual or deviant, what people consider deviant sexual behavior. I think I, I really wonder like how that is going to evolve. Like, are we going to see a flourishing of, of expressions of these kind of more marginalized sexualities that that might thrive on Web3 or? Yes, that is such an important topic, really, because when we had the rise of sites like OnlyFans, it gave everybody a platform to express their sexuality. Whereas before, it was like maybe a handful of likely male executives that got to decide what was sexy and what was going to be porn, right? But now there is like (laughs) an ability for everybody and anybody who wants to, to share their version of sexuality. And (laughs) sexuality is as unique as people on earth. Like every person's version of sexuality is going to look a little bit different, just like every person looks a little bit different. And I think that a healthy society has a diverse and healthy expression of sexuality. So I do think that we're going to see some more weird shit come out. And I think that's a good thing. I think that these people, more people need exposure to a healthy sexuality um, that's diverse and not just like blonde women with big boobs, right? Which is a lot of what was probably fed to us. Like, I actually don't even watch porn. I'm an advocate for porn creators and I make my independent porn, but I actually don't watch porn. That doesn't do it for me. My version of sexuality is art and uh, listening to podcasts, you know? So we're going to see some definitely um, more left field things like that. Like who masturbates listening to podcasts? Probably a lot more people, right? But up until a year ago, I thought I was weird, you know? <laughs> like, I'm like oh, this porn watching people have sex doesn't do it for me, but listening to smart guys talk does, all right? And so there's even more, you know, out there than that. And I think it's going to be good to see the rise of that. And healthy even. I just think we're kind of prude in general still. It's like human sexuality is such a basic function. It's as basic as cooking every day. But like I can make a video of me cooking. That's completely acceptable. I make a video masturbating and I'm shunned. (laughs) But like these are both regular human things. So who gets to decide? Let let, let me let me put a a skeptical view on that. I I look at it from an evolutionary perspective. Human beings, our, our two closest sort of relatives, chimpanzees and bonobos. Chimpanzees, essentially very status-driven animals. Bonobos, not so much. And the two ways that uh, chimpanzees and bonobos resolve essentially any societal differences, I think, inform as to how we as human beings do it. Bonobos basically resolve differences by fucking each other, right? They have sex, like often, many times a day with, with each other all the time. And researchers determine that that's the way they basically resolve conflict. Anytime there's potential conflict going on, they basically have sex with each other to, to diffuse it. Chimpanzees, on the other hand, do that through status displays and essentially displays of violence. It seems like human beings kind of evolved more along the chimpanzee line than the bonobo line, although there is kind of remnants of, of sort of the, 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 the bonobo behavioral sort of modifications. So... I guess what I'm saying is I think that on an individual level, I, you know, I think sort of being free to express sexuality is kind of, you know, everyone wants that on an individual level. But I think just from a 
evolutionary psychology perspective, at least from my point of view, it doesn't seem likely that that's going to be the direction that we as a human species is going to go down. I think we're kind of trapped by our sort of genetic slash evolutionary roots and kind of stick to more essentially the chimpanzee model of, of, of societal organization, essentially. Yeah, that's super interesting, actually. I had to stop for a minute and be like, huh. So what were you saying? What are the what are the creatures on Earth that resolve conflicts by um, fucking? What they discovered is chimpanzees um, are basically patrilineal sort of societies, right? The males are the basically the head of the clan, head of the group, head of the and that's if you look at human civilization, that's that's kind of how it has mostly been organized. Bonobos, on the other hand, are matrilineal. So the 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 most important members of any particular group are basically the oldest females, right? And and so they that's what researchers suspect is kind of the difference. Um if you look at human civilization, majority of human groups have been sort of patri- uh, patriarchal um sort of sort of males especially older males leading the leading the way there have been some human organizations that have been matrilineal like for example a, a, a very uh, well-known one is the Morsu sort of ethnicity in um, southwest china and actually if you look at the behavior of that society it, it actually mirrors kind of bonobos quite a bit they, they have a lot of sort of sexual freedom for, for females and, and just in the society uh at large so you know from an individual perspective i i, I you know I'm, I'm always sort of pro sexual expression from a from a sort of a, a species perspective i i have my doubts that you know it'll happen for the human race essentially so and you might be right but i guess we'll just have to see how it all how it all flushes out cool um last question who is your favorite artist all right so when i was listening back through some of your older podcasts i was kind of prepared for this question <laughs> and and i had to be prepared to be honest about this and it's myself i have more or less for I've been an artist um, for all my life in one way or another. I've moved through different mediums and different types of expression. And I've always had a really bad issue with being insecure and comparing myself to other people. So I pretty much have kept myself in a bubble and I create and I learn how to do things. And I do so in a way that it's completely my own. It's not influenced by what other people are doing or what's already been done. It's completely my own. And so I wish I had a favorite artist, but the truth is I don't because I haven't spent enough time exploring other artists. Most of the NFTs I buy are from adult content creators. And so that's a little bit different. It is art, but it's not um, like that. And yeah, I guess I would say I'm my favorite artist. Like I, I had to be prepared. There's a bit of embarrassment that comes with saying that, but I love my art. Like I am truly my biggest fan. So uh, I, I can honestly say I did not expect that answer. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Paulanian, um, it's been awesome having you on the show. Uh, it's been a great conversation. And this has been an episode of Floyd's Rising. Thank you for coming onto the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This was a great talk. And thank you again. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Floor is Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow. And give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor is Rising. You can reach out to us or send us a question. Just send us a DM at Floor is Rising.